another episode of Legends of Read. Today I'm really pleased. Uh, it's actually Easter Sunday. I have with me Australian always Rachel Bullen. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Rachel comes from a family of non-musicians and started out on the only instrument she really knew about, the flute at the age of nine. Upon being accepted to study at the Victorian College of the Arts Secondary School, she discovered the oboe, which she immediately recognised as her instrument. After completing her studies in Melbourne, Rachel went on to Europe to continue her musical journey. First, she went to Rotterdam to study with Emmanuel Abul, and later she went on to Munich to study with Francois Lelou. Rachel has performed as an orchestral musician in Europe in many orchestras, including the Netherlands Radio Chamber Orchestra and the Aral Symphony Orchestra. She has toured as a soloist in many European countries and she was a full-time chamber musician from 2010 to 2016 with the Aceberg Ensemble in Denmark. In 2016, Rachel returned to Australia permanently. Since then, she has appeared as guest principal oboe with the Melbourne Symphony, the Orchestra Victoria and was acting principal with the Adelaide Symphony for most of 2019. Currently, Rachel teaches at the Melbourne Conservatorium of Music and performs as a freelancer. I'm so glad that you could join me today, today being Easter Sunday. Yeah? And uh, we are actually facing quite uh, strange uh, uh, times, right, in the world with uh, COVID-19. Yeah? Yes, lots of time to practice, but not much performing going on. <laughs> yeah, so how have you been coping uh, with this strange situation? Um. I think that most musicians are, are well prepared um, to spend a lot of time inside by themselves with their instruments. <laughs> so there's always things that you can work on and um, there's of course always reads to make. Uh, so I'm getting ahead with my gouging and shaping and um, hopefully when I start playing concerts again, I'll have lots of reads ready to go. Okay, so how often do you work on reads? Do you work on them every day or just every other day? Um, it depends a bit. So um, sometimes I'll spend half a day gouging and shaping and doing all, all that kind of thing um, because, you know, that part doesn't take quite so much concentration. Um, when I do scraping, um, I probably do that maybe three, three or four times a week, but it depends on um, how many reads I need and how much I've got going on. Um, I like to do it slowly. So um, I usually get the read to be playing and then I'll work on that read over uh, four or five days to get it to, to do what I want it to do. Um, but of course, yeah, when you're working in orchestra, sometimes you don't have that sort of luxury time and it has to work a bit more quickly. Um, mm -hmm. It has to be ready to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if you don't like it, you still have to play on it. <laughs> yeah. It's like breaking in new shoes, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 
yeah. Personally, I've given myself a, how do you call a practice challenge. I started the 100 days of practice challenge. Oh, good. Yeah, do you know that one by Hilary Hahn? Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. It's a good idea. Yeah, it's pretty hard, I, I can tell you now. <laughs> Only one <laughs> of the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, just to find out, uh, can I find out the who or what inspired you to pursue a career in music? Could you tell us? Well, so um, as you mentioned before, my family's not musical, so I didn't really have much contact with classical music as a child. Um, my main contacts were, um, I guess, through cartoons like Bugs Bunny uh, that had classical music going. And I learnt ballet where I got to hear classical music as well. And I used to um, listen to the radio and I was always just fascinated by these sounds. And, um, and when I heard oboe um, for the first time, knowing that it was an oboe, it really spoke to me. And, um, and I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. Um, I couldn't explain why, but um, it just felt very meaningful to me. Hmm. I see. So um, I know that you studied with very famous uh, oboes, right? like Francois Lebo and Imeno Abul. Um, how was it like studying with them? What did you learn from them? Um, well, sometimes it was a bit intimidating because they're just so good. <laughs> but I think um, I, they're very different players and they're very different people. And um, I feel really lucky to have a kind of balance that I've had lessons um, from such different people. And um, I think, uh, well, from Leleur, what I took away the most was his approach to music and his philosophy about it and his philosophy about playing and um, I think he really reminded me that um, there should be joy when you play your instrument. You should feel better when you play. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't feel difficult. Um, that you should allow the music to come out and to speak through you and not to force anything. Um, that was uh, a really important thing that I learned at that time in my life where, you know, I was a starting to do auditions and, um, you know, really feeling this pressure. And he kept reminding me that actually um, music is, is joy. It's uh, wonder and we had, we shouldn't be afraid of it. Um, so that, that was, that was something really uh, important for sure. Um, along with, of course, all of the oboe things like um, sound and flexibility and expression and vibrato and, you know, all of, all of those sorts of things. Um, I think from Emmanuel, I took a lot more um, of the foundation technique. So um, he, I think, um, taught me the beginnings of flexibility, um, of dynamic control and um, how to explore my instrument and find different colors and, um, and that sort of thing. And then I think when I went to Le Leur, he sort of took me a bit further along that path. So it, it worked together quite well, actually, um, the path that I took. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of Leru. I follow him uh, online. and He's also doing this daily Instagram show. He's, he's taking requests and they're like, what should I play for you today? And it's always <laughs> in a very joyful manner and very generous. Really, I really like that. Um, so um, who or what have been the most important influences? Were, were they your teachers or do you have other influences in your musical life? Um, I think probably it was my teachers um, 
who who were my biggest inspiration and my biggest influence. Um, uh, but I, you know, I went to a lot of concerts as well. I, it's sort of hard to um, put names to everything that influenced me. But um, when I was in Europe, I, I went and had lessons with everybody that I could. So um, I did master classes with um, Thomas Innemüller and Jacques Thies, and I had a lesson from Maurice Bourg and um, Bach Neumann. And so I, you know, I tried to take as much as I could from many different directions so that um, so that I could find my own way. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to copy anyone. I mean, um, you know, Lele, I think is, is wonderful and he's my idol in many respects, but I'm not him and I shouldn't sound like him. And uh, I needed to find my own voice. And I think um, having lots of lessons from lots of different people um, was really, really helpful for that. And uh, especially, you know, Oboe, it's so personal. Um, the the sound that we make is so different from person to person, and I think we have to really embrace that and, and love that and um, enjoy our own uniqueness um, and not not try to be like anybody else. Yeah, I wish I wish that for also classical music because it seems there's so much uh, pressure to conform, right, and to play perfectly. Yes. Right? So I wish we had that breath and a bit more diversity of different voices right, that can coexist. Right? So that was partly why I started this podcast was to showcase the wide range of uh, players right, within the community. Right? Mm. I was watching some of your music videos on YouTube. I seem to notice you, you possess a very natural, very effortless, very expressive musicality, right? So I think that's really, really impressive. Do you have some advice? Like, for example, you're practicing something, right? And you face some kind of creative block. Uh, what is your approach to overcome some blocks when you're practicing? Um, I like to always go back to the basics. So if something's not working if something feels like I have to put in a lot of effort then usually it means that I haven't really understood the music um, so if I um, if my breathing isn't working probably I'm trying to breathe in the wrong place that's not musical or um, if my fingers are, are going too fast over one section normally it's because I'm um, sort of forgetting about I'm neglecting some of the notes so I have I try to if something's going wrong I try to really step back and look at the structure of the phrase and try to understand the role of each note in that phrase and and um, and then do like a really obvious version where I, I shape all of those notes and and really pay attention to them and where they fit in and I find normally that solves pretty much everything um, that that it starts to work because I think um, sometimes we overcomplicate things or um, we get into habits or we forget about things. And if you um, take away all of that stuff that we put on, on top of it and go really, really back to the, the very basic melody and build it up again, um, then it, it, it works. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to keep it simple, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, to, to go back to the simple version so that, um, so, you know, if you're adding something or changing something or taking time that you know that you're doing it, it's not just happening to you, you're choosing to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And we need to remember that, that simple version um, to know what, we're, what our interpretation is adding um, mm -hmm. to the music. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know that you are teaching currently in the Melbourne Conservatorium. Uh, what is your teaching philosophy? How do you try to bring out the best in your students? Well, I think um, 
really what we're doing is we're trying to teach them how to teach themselves. So I, I think what I'm trying to do the most is to um, give them skills so that when they identify an issue or they identify something that they're not happy with, that they know what to do about it, um, that they know how to practice it, that they know how to listen, and they, that they know how to go back to that simple version and find the, um, the role of each note in the phrase. Um, so that's, that's really what I'm trying to teach them. And at the same time, of course, trying to open their ears um, because uh, sometimes they're so busy playing that they can't hear. <laughs> um, so I think it's our job as teachers to um, just keep making them aware and making them aware and, and giving them tools um, and let them find their own voice and their own expression with those tools. Yeah. It's quite hard sometimes to uh, play and also listen to yourself, right? I find that the most important thing is to record, right? I think. Yes, yeah. and that's definitely one of the, the things that I try to teach to my students uh, is the value of playing it back. Um, it's, it's amazing how much you can suddenly notice. <laughs> and it's not all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like looking in the mirror, then you see oh, one, one more people. With the great hairs, yeah. <laughs> or something, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, I know that you have played an enormous amount of chamber music, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so uh, what do you enjoy the most of playing chamber music? Um, do you mean which piece I enjoy playing? Or the... I know, why do you enjoy chamber music so much? Um, I think that um, chamber music is where I feel the most at home. It's where I feel the most free and the safest. Um, and especially when I'm working with people that I know well um, and that I trust. So um, I think it's a really special way of making music. It's kind of, um, you sort of have to read each other's minds um, in order to, um, to really play together as one, one united group. Um, it's, um, it's kind of addictive, I have to say, <laughs> um, because you have freedom to express um, in a way that you don't in orchestra. You don't, um, you know, in orchestra, you have that sort of, relationship with the conductor but um but it's a different it's not a balanced relationship um between you and the conductor when you have a solo uh when you play in chamber music it's you are equals and you have your moment where you stand out and people follow you but at the same time you have to fit in and you have to follow them and you really have to understand your role in the music at all times and mm -hmm. when to when to lead and when to step back and um, and I, I love uh, understanding the music on that level. Yeah, myself, I, I love chamber music because it's so, I find it so democratic, right? And you can have, yes. yeah, yeah, you can have your input, but it's still very living and breathing and, yeah. Very flexible, yeah. yeah. And then sometimes it works so well and sometimes it doesn't, right? But that's the beauty of it. So, yeah. So, um, what's your favorite chamber work to play? Do you have any? Oh, I don't know. There's, there's many. There's um, many? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I really love um, Prokofiev Quintet, uh, for example. Um, I love playing oboe and strings. Um, I, I think it's a fantastic combination of sounds. Um, 
And there's some really, really beautiful ones out there um, as well. I haven't played all of them yet. I still have some more on my bucket list. Um, and there's quite a lot of good wind quintets as well. Um, Harbison is a really good quintet. Doesn't get played that much, I don't think. And Nielsen, of course, is just uh, amazing. Nielsen, yeah, yeah. And of course, I played it a lot in a Danish uh, chamber music ensemble. We did a lot of Nielsen, but it's, it's such good music that there's always more to discover um, and more to talk about and further that you can go with it. It's, it's just wonderful. Yeah, once I played this uh, composer, Yesil, he's not so uh, well known and it's quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but I listened to your Mozart uh, Oboe Quartet and uh, Nielsen uh, Fantasy Stuka, is it? Uh, it's translated. Uh, what is really nice is so uh, beautiful and graceful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful music. Yeah. So, um, are there uh, particular performances or recordings that you're most proud of? Uh, could you share with us? I don't know. They, <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> um, there's been a lot of really special moments and I've um, been lucky and got to play some fantastic pieces. I'm not sure um, if there's one that really stands out. Um, mm, or your most memorable concert experience, perhaps? Sorry, what my well, most memorable concert experience? Something that sticks out. Um, hmm. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, there was one. So um, there was a commission that was written for Esberg Ensemble um, by Bent Sørensen. Um, which is that it's a piano concerto um, with uh, oboe, bassoon, string quartet and percussion. And uh, we played it in um, Grieg's house in um, Norway. And uh, I think, yeah, that was the premiere. It was the first time it was ever performed. And you have this amazing view of the fjord out the window and um, it's in this, you know, very historical, important place and just sort of a magical atmosphere. And the, the music is just sublime. He, he wrote fantastic um, melodies for oboe and the, I think it's a really great combination, oboe and bassoon with strings, percussion and, and piano, because it's sort of, it blends, but it's got contrast as well um, through the different voices. And um, that was a really, that was a special moment. I think it's always um, a, a big privilege to play a work for the first time, uh, to be the first one to share it with the world and with an audience. And um, that's always a really special thing to do. Yeah, it's so exciting, right? And you feel that you feel very responsible, right, for it. Yeah. That's, that's right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, um, so I first found out about you when I... Um, because I am a fan of Simon Eames, the principal oboe in Malaysia Philharmonic. And then I first found out about you because he was sharing your crowdfunding link, right? About your court case in Denmark, right? And then I read about the case uh, and you had a lot of visa problems for playing illegal concerts, right? Um, because of the change in your visa status, right? Could you take yeah. us back to this incident, if you don't mind, and walk us through what happened exactly? 
Okay, so I um, I lived and worked uh, in Denmark, um, playing with Esbjerg Ensemble from about 2010 until um, 2016. Um, and for, uh, from, actually it was from 2009 until 2013, I had one type of visa. And then from 2013 uh, onwards, they changed the rules and they didn't announce it anywhere. They didn't tell it uh, to anyone. Um, and the only change in my paperwork was from the letter uh, C, which meant it's okay to play um, concerts um, uh, to a letter J, which means it's not okay to play extra concerts. Um, but these letters C and J were not explained in my paperwork. Um, it wasn't possible for me to know what it was or even to know that it was important. Um, and I found out afterwards, the only place it was written down what these letters mean is in a paper brochure that's only available to employers. Um, so even if I knew about it and went looking for it, I couldn't have this piece of paper with the information. Um, so... Yeah, but there was no announcement, um, but that changed January 2013 and I kept going on as normal. So I had my, my job um, in Esberg Ensemble and um, I had a couple of students um, and uh, because there's not so many oboe players around and because the um, chamber music schedule is a little bit different to orchestra schedules, um, many of the orchestras around Denmark invited me to help when they had um, sick musicians. So. Um, I played, I think, in almost all of the orchestras uh, in, in Denmark at one time or another, um, usually at the last minute because someone couldn't play or, you know, something went wrong. And so I, I kept doing that, thinking that that was normal because every other foreign musician that I knew had the same visa as me and they were doing that. Everybody was doing that. Everyone seemed to think it was fine and everything that I knew told me that that was fine. And then... In 2015, at the start of September, I got a phone call uh, from the border police. And, um, and I was kind of like, what, why, why are you calling me? And, and um, the man said, well, um, did you play a concert with um, Suna Yulan Symphony Orchestra? And I was like, yes, w what? Like, why is the police asking me about that and he said well I have to inform you that you've broken the law and I, I was just completely shocked I didn't know what to say I didn't understand I thought there was some kind of mistake I really I just couldn't understand what was going on um, and he couldn't explain it to me either he said that the um, the immigration department had told him to call me and check up if I did play that concert and then to basically make trouble for me um, and uh, yeah, so he couldn't help. And then I tried to get information from the immigration department and they wouldn't tell me anything either. And so I spoke with the musicians union and they never heard of anything like that happening. They didn't really know anything either. They didn't know much about the visa situation or, or anything in particular. So they didn't really help either. And they said, oh, well, you know, wait until you, until you get the piece of paper. Um, so in... December, um, I got the I got the first fine. Um, so and then uh, for one of the concerts that I did, and then I think end of February I got the whole collection of fines. So they they had a public prosecutor who investigated every concert that I ever played, every lesson that I ever gave, and they added it all up and made uh, a number. And so I in February I got a letter saying that I needed to pay. Um, 
50,000 corner, which is um, $10,000 Australian or about 7,000 euros. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I was, um, I mean, that's a lot of money for, for a musician. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? Like, do I pay it? Do I, what, what do I do? And so I spoke with the musicians union again, and they said that I could contest uh, the fine in court and, um, and see what happened. So I got in touch with a lawyer and he actually said that I had a really good case and he was very confident that we would win because he knew about the whole situation, that the information was not available to me, that it was not okay for me to play concerts and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but it took another six months until we got the court hearing, which was in August uh, 2016. So it was nearly a year after the phone call from the police. Um, and unfortunately, the, the judge decided that I was guilty and he wasn't really able to explain why I was guilty because you get a written verdict um, ex where they're supposed to write down, you know, the reasons why, why you're guilty. Um, but he wasn't able to name any Danish law. He wasn't really able to say anything. The verdict said um, something like, um, you are guilty because the immigration department woman said that you're not allowed to play these concerts, therefore you're not allowed to play these concerts, so you are guilty. That was the, the verdict. Um, and at that point, you have one week to decide if you want to appeal. Um, uh, yeah, so I, uh, he reduced the fine um, because he said, you know, I wasn't, probably wasn't taking work away from a Danish person, but I uh, had to pay all the legal fees. So um, altogether, it was um, six and a half thousand dollars Australian um, at that point. Um, and if I had gone on to appeal, I would have been risking deportation and um, a lot more money um, if I lost. So my lawyer was, um, he really, really wanted me to appeal and he thought that I had a very strong case. And, um, but the experience was just horrendous. It was really, really a terrible thing to go through. And I just didn't want to be in Denmark anymore. And I didn't think that I could go through another court hearing and so I decided to just leave. Um, so I, um, as you mentioned, I had a crowdfunding site and I, um, uh, people were amazing and very, very generous. Um, a lot of people that I've never met contributed to my fund and um, I had the, the money that I needed in about eight days, um, which was a massive relief for me. That meant that I could um, quit my job and pack up my life and move back to Australia. <laughs> Um, yeah, it sounds, uh, sounds so brutal and uh, I can't imagine what you must have uh, gone through in those days. Yeah, so, yeah. What, that means, did I understand it correctly? They waived the fine but made you pay the legal fees. Is that right? No, they didn't waive the fine but they reduced it. Um, so oh. the original fine was um, 50,000 corner and the reduced fine was like... Um, Oh, how much was it? I think 12,000 or something like that. So they reduced it a lot, but then the legal fees were quite substantial. So it was still a lot of money. And um, the unfortunate thing now for me is that um, I, I have a, a criminal conviction on my record. And um, I can tell you also that, um, so there's not very many people that this happened to, and they have actually changed the rules since all of this happened to me. So it shouldn't happen to anyone in the future, at least not in this manner. 
Um, <clears throat> but there was a um, an economist from Colombia who had the same fine as I did, and he also contested it in court, and he won on appeal using the same argument that my lawyer used. So he was found not guilty with the same argument that I was found guilty with. <laughs> Ah, is this the one that, that was published in the New York Times, the article? No, that's Brooke Harrington. She's another one. She's American. And okay. the charges against her were dropped. Ah, yeah, but it, yeah. was, it was the same problem, um, but she didn't have to go to court. Um, but she also left Denmark and um, has moved her life back home. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is really awful. Were there other foreign musicians in the same situation as you or? Um, there's another two musicians that I heard about, one American and one Japanese, but as I understand, because they didn't go to court, uh, they don't have a criminal record, um, the, the way that things worked out. So I'm the only one, I'm I the see. only one who ended up with a criminal record, yeah. Oh, man, that's ghastly, like, oof. yeah. It, it doesn't feel very fair, but you know. Yeah, yeah I think it's really all uncalled for and uh, really, really not fair. I mean, I, I've never gone through such a situation, but I had to move back from Europe to Singapore in 2011 because my visa expired, right? But I, I also went through a grieving process, right? Because I felt that I had lost so many opportunities, right? So I think it was very difficult to move from Europe to Asia. I don't think many people know what what it involves there. Yeah. Especially when you've been there for a long time. I don't know how long you were in Europe for. Um, I, 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 I think it's five years and then I lived one year in Holland, right? So, but I had a different kind of visa. I had a partner visa, right? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a long time. And I mean, I, I was in Europe altogether for 17 years. Um, so it was basically my whole adult life. So when I packed everything up and moved back to Australia, it was really, it wasn't like coming home. It was like starting again in a new country where I already speak the language. <laughs> but um, um, I mean, I think you, you showed an enormous amount of strength and grace, you know, in, in this um, circumstance. Um, did you manage to settle uh, back in Melbourne? I mean, have people welcome you back into the music scene? How has it been going? Um, I've been quite lucky, actually. So it took, um, it was a bit slow in the beginning, but um, I was really lucky that there are musicians who remember me from before I left um, to Europe. So there were people who opened doors for me and invited me to play and gave me opportunities and um, so that really, really helped um, to get started. And, and now, uh, now it's going pretty well, actually. Um, normally, I should be playing a lot of concerts at the moment, but of course, <laughs> they're all cancelled. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's going okay now, but it, it took some time. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, that things are going uh, quite well for you. Maybe it's a fresh start for for, for you, I don't know, you know, to start something in Australia. Um, yeah, and, and it's nice to be home um, in, in many ways. Uh, I, I miss Europe a lot, of course, and, you know, there's many lifestyle things that I, I really, really do miss, but Australia is pretty nice. Yeah, you have the good food and the coffee. 
Yeah, good coffee in Melbourne. <laughs> and you have the beaches and kilters, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, were there any insights or lessons that you have learned from this experience? Uh, how did you process it? I mean, like, how did you deal with it? Um, it, it was really hard and um, I, um, I, I became really anxious for a while um, because it was sort of, you know, I didn't, I didn't think that I had done anything wrong. And then to have this, this bomb drop on you, um, it made me afraid that there was going to be another one, that something else really bad was going to happen and um, that I couldn't foresee that. Um, so, I, yeah, I was very anxious for a long time and, um, and it was quite lonely because it was only me that was going through this. So no one else could kind of um, really understand what what it felt like. And um, and I was also advised in the beginning by my lawyer not to um, not to go to the media. So um, I couldn't really post anything on Facebook. I couldn't really ask for support in an open way um, until after the court hearing happened. So. Um, it, it was really, yeah, carrying a big weight uh, for a really long time, um, which was very hard. But, um, but yeah, it made me learn a lot of things about myself. And um, you sort of, I think what I've learned as well is that um, even when things are terrible, um, I'm still me and I will still be me afterwards. And no one can take my music away. You can take away my job and you can make me leave the country and you can take away my concerts and my students and whatever else, but my music is mine and it will always be mine. And even if I just play for myself, um, I, I enjoy that. And that's what's important for me. And um, I think that really, um, that really helped me to get through. Um, oh, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. That's a really great insight. Uh, were there at least uh, some uh, good memories you have for living there in Denmark? Maybe if you want to say anything. Maybe there could be Danish listeners here. I don't know. It <laughs> <laughs> was, yeah, I, um, there was a lot I really liked about living in Denmark. Um, mm. I, I liked the lifestyle. I liked that everything is so close. You can get around uh, by bike everywhere. Um, that, that was fantastic. And um lot of uh lot of good concerts and so much music happening and um it's very pretty um copenhagen esbjerg not so much maybe it's a more modern city but um other parts of denmark are, are really beautiful the the nature's amazing um you know, around esbjerg you've got beautiful beaches and uh people are friendly um I yeah I I was having a pretty good time in Denmark until you know the, the mm. sky fell in and everything mm -hmm. went wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I should say that um, so when when it all happened, I was on the news and I was on the radio, and so a lot of people heard um, uh, about what happened to me, and um, I got a lot of personal messages from Danish people that I've never met, um, who felt bad and who wanted me to know that their government didn't speak for them and. Um, I think that's important to remember as well that um, it's, you know, the, the, the government and the bureaucrats are not necessarily acting in the way that the, the people of the country want them to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to have that, the, that perspective is really good, right, to maintain that perspective. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I know that you have since uh, 
studied and you studied a different uh, degree. You have a diploma in psychology, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I finished my, my honours um, uh, a year ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, what made you study psychology? Was it uh, personal interest or...? Um, I've always been interested in how people think and why people do the things that they do. But I think one of the the reasons that I actually went ahead and, and did it um, was really to do with music. I really wanted to learn about why some people are more successful than others. How, how do we learn? How do we practice effectively? What mm. sort of, um, what sort of character, um, uh, characteristics are helpful um, to being a musician and um, and of course you know how to deal with performance anxiety and all of those things as well and and being a chamber musician because I, I actually started my psychology degree while I was still um, playing in Espiog Ensemble yeah. um, so you know the psychology of a chamber music group is quite interesting as well to watch this dynamic between people so it really fascinated me and I wanted to know more about it so i thought well why not do it properly and and have the piece of paper so now i have my piece of paper <laughs> so do you have some tips for us like uh, dealing with stage fright or auditioning you know this kind of uh, stressful moments like uh, are there any tips you know um well there's a couple of things that that i learned um through uh, my psychology degree that i i found really helpful um Almost all of the symptoms of performance anxiety that happen to me are to do with breathing, which is sort of funny as a wind player. <laughs> um, but what we tend to do when we feel a bit, um, a bit anxious is to, we tend to overbreathe. So we tend to breathe too often and we tend to breathe a bit too shallow. And this is actually something that we can train and we can train this away from our instruments and away from performances. So really simple exercises like um, counting your breathing. So breathing in for three, holding for three, and then breathing out for three. And you might want to train yourself to have a word like relax or release or uh, calm or something like that, that you say to yourself on the out breath. So, so that basically you're training yourself um, how to breathe when you need to breathe well. So you can switch it on when you're sitting there by the side of the stage waiting to be called. Um, you can be doing this breathing and getting into that zone of breathing well, um, which uh, I've tried it out and I find it really helpful um, to put myself in a good place uh, to walk out on stage and play. And um, the other thing that I've learned that's really, really helpful is um, our interpretation of uh, our, our physical experiences is very, very important. So when we feel our butterflies in our stomach, normally as a musician, you say, oh, I'm nervous. Um, but we can actually choose to interpret that differently. And it, I find it really, really works to say to myself, I'm excited. I'm excited about playing this concert. Because the butterflies in the stomach, they, it could go both ways. And if we choose to go the positive way, um, it actually makes you feel really motivated um, to want to go out and play and, and give your music to the audience. And it's something you do have to do over and over. <laughs> so I, you know, leading up to a concert, I might tell myself I'm excited 20 times in that day. Um, but I find that it really, really helps to change the direction that my, that my mind is going in. Yeah, indeed, I find that, you know, that we have so much um, information and um, I don't know, like too much information coming at us, like through social media, 
and it's just uh, a lot going on, right? So I think mental health is really important when you talk about peak performance, right? And then I was in the studio recording and I was amazed because I think like recording producers understand the psychology really well. And they know how to talk to artists and then extract the best take out of you, right? That was reflecting on it. And I was like, psychology is actually a huge thing, right? Yes, it, it applies to everything. Um, it's, yeah, when I, when I started studying everything I was reading my book, I was seeing in life. And <laughs> oh. although sometimes, sometimes I know things, but it still doesn't help, <laughs> oh. unfortunately. Um, but it's really, really worth, uh, you're right, like, you know, how we think, uh, it changes everything. And, um, but at the same time, it gives you power uh, because you can change your thoughts and that changes how you feel and your action, actions and, and how you play. So it is really worth trying it out and, and seeing how you can optimise your performance. I see, I see. So um, what do you consider to be the most important ideas and concepts to impart to aspiring musicians? What do you think? Um, hmm. I think that you just have to love it and um, you have to want to go into the practice room and you have to want to find um, your best sound and your best performance. And, and I think, you know, if they if they approach it as um, explorers, like exploring what they can do with their uh, sound and with their musicality. Um, I think uh, with curiosity, without, you know, we, we tend to be very harsh with ourselves. You know, we're um, musicians are kind of trained in perfectionism that, um, you know, we're angry with ourselves when a note doesn't speak or um, if something goes wrong or um, we didn't quite make the phrase how we plan to, or, you know, um, and I think, uh, we need to move away from that judgment side of things, that negativity, the criticism, and move towards um, exploring and curiosity. So when when something isn't quite how you want it to be, then be curious and think, well, why did it happen like that? Why do I want it to be different? What What is it that I'm looking for? Um, and, you know, try to explore rather than to be angry or switch off. Um, and, you know, you might find something new even that you didn't know existed. Um, uh, and, and I think that's, you know, it's all about the approach. I think, you know, everything else is details along the way and people can argue about Mozart trills and, and whatever else. But I think, um, you know, that approach, that love and that curiosity, I think that's what carries us through and keeps us practicing and wanting to be better. Yeah, that's so true because I am a big fan of the Swedish clarinetist Martin Frost, right? And uh, yeah. he was doing a Q&A uh, with um, uh, fans and musicians and people are asking him about this thing, right? Performance anxiety, right? And his answer, I thought, was so, so simple but profound. He said something like, you know, um, don't focus so much on yourself, right? Think about the, <laughs> the whole atmosphere, your colleagues, and then he said this phrase, which I really liked, which was give yourself a chance, right? And I think sometimes we are just so quick to pick out like, okay, what we are doing bad or what we suck at, right? And then and then <laughs> I, I had a really big, important concert last year, right? And then I, I thought to myself, okay, let's, let's try a different approach, right? <laughs> so 
I'm quite professionistic, so I thought, okay, give yourself a chance. <laughs> and then it, it really worked. I, I didn't miss a note, and everything just came out <laughs> in one poof. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, I think it's, it's a really way of like talking. Our self talk is very important, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think, uh, I think you can really uh, help your students with this, you know, this understanding. Uh, and building mental toughness, right, for approaching yes. the stage. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, what are some of your upcoming plans and projects? I know that things are a little bit stalled now, but what are you looking forward to? Huh, yeah, at the moment, all my concerts have been cancelled, so yes. um, mostly I'm... I'm just working on myself and my playing and um, learning new repertoire, which actually I'm really enjoying. Um, there's so many pieces that, you know, I, I have sitting on the shelf and I never had time because uh, I always had to learn something for something else. And now I've got the time. I can actually get to know this repertoire and try things out and um, work on things like extended techniques and um, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping to, um, during this lockdown period, maybe come up with some uh, little videos um, that I can share with the world of what I've been working on. That's um, the, Those are my, my goals at the moment. I see, I see. Um, do you have other interests? Like, for example, if you were not a musician, what, what would you do besides music? Um, probably at this point, because I did just finish my cycle, <laughs> I, would, I would probably go into psychology. Um, yeah, okay. and, yeah, and it is something that I find really interesting and really rewarding as well. Um, I'm not qualified yet, of course, to, to, um, to, uh, to treat clients, um, but uh, yeah, that would be a possibility. So you do for fun, do you have any uh, hobbies or... Uh... Um, I, I love yoga and, uh, and I do a bit of running. I'm not very good, but I do it anyway. Um, and reading, uh, lots and lots of reading. And at the moment I've just started uh, getting into origami. So oh. I've discovered modular origami where you make like 30 little shapes and then you stick them together in a ball. Um, which is very fiddly and you need a lot of patience. So all my read making skills are coming in handy, <laughs> um, but they're, they're quite fun. I see. I see. Okay. So thanks so much for your time today. I wish you uh, lots of uh, luck and I'm sure that I will see you playing somewhere in the region, right? <laughs> hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm sure it will happen here. Yeah. <laughs> okay thank you Rachel thank you Joanne and if you have enjoyed this podcast please like subscribe or share it with your friends that would mean the world to me thank you and goodbye